I'm going to, well, I'm going to give my understanding of that. I don't think it's a, <laughs> a comet. I don't think it has anything to do with like astrological no. stuff. It, no. It's, it's, it's the glory of God. Yep. It's the That's fire awesome. that once followed the Israelites in the wilderness. Like 100%. The, the, the imagery of God's glory. It just looks to them like a star. Welcome to the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast, a show devoted to bridging the gap to the historic Reformed Christian faith. Listen in as two friends, a layman Nick and a pastor Peter, discuss core doctrines of our confessional traditions with seminary and college professors, seasoned pastors, and more. These seasonal episodes exist to reach those outside the church, those in the pews, behind pulpits, and in the academy with rich truths of Reformed theology, and remind ourselves weekly how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hey, this is Peter Bell, and I am in the beautiful wine country of Central Coast, California, in Santa Maria, north end of Santa Maria, in Santa Barbara County. I serve Redeemer OPC, Redeemer Orthodox Presbyterian Church, on the north end of Santa Maria. We meet at Temple Bethel, which is right there, Temple Bethel, at 11 a.m. for Sunday service and 9.45 a.m., so just before that for Sunday school. For all ages, we have kids Sunday school, adult Sunday school, or all Sunday school at 9.45. You can find us at discoverredeemer.org with one R, again, discoverredeemer.org. Org. We have a bunch of activities throughout the week, but most importantly, Sunday, we have the gospel preach, the, the sacraments administered, and church discipline faithfully brought out. So I hope to see you here at Redeemer OPC in Santa Maria, Central Coast, wine country of Santa Barbara. Hope to see you. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Danny Hyde from the Oceanside United Reformed Church. I want to invite you out to our church. We meet in sunny Southern California uh, here in San Diego. And we meet at the Army Navy Academy in Carlsbad, right along the ocean, as you can see, the Pacific. And uh, we meet every Sunday at 10 o'clock in the morning. We uh, hear the Word of God, we hear the Gospel preach, we have the Lord's Supper every Sunday morning. And then we have Sunday school at about noon for kids. We come again uh, together at 5 o'clock every night, uh, Sunday night, for uh, teaching, prayer, and singing. And then we also have various uh, midweek groups, Bible studies, men's, women's, and also other Bible studies as well uh, throughout the week. So. I want to invite you out to worship with us. If you know anybody in the area here in North County of San Diego, uh, invite them as well. Let them know. You can find out more about us on our website, OceansideURC.org, or also on all those various social media. You'll find us as well. God bless. Hey, this is Peter, one of the co-hosts. We're doing something new. All ads will be fronted before the episode for unimpeded listening pleasure. A quick plug for our show, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. Would you consider giving to our show? We are a 501c3 nonprofit, so your donations are now tax deductible. We've got two options to give. One, email us at guiltgracepod at gmail.com if you'd like to send a check or use our direct donor link. Or two, go to our show notes and click on our donor box link to give a recurring donation or a one-time gift. You can also click on our Patreon account in the show notes and sign up for monthly exclusives, merchandise, coupon codes with publishers we work with, giveaways for our subscribers, and much more. All donations we're gifted are used exclusively to pursue our mission to bridge the gap to reform Christian theology. Would you join us? Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. And today, we're on a season seven episode. Season seven, we are uh, finding Jesus throughout all of scripture. And today's episode, we're going to be focusing on just the book of Numbers. And of course, our third co-host today is going to help us out, just like all the episodes this season, Dr. Danny Hyde. And of course, Peter's here as well, and I'm Nick. So if you guys go to our show notes, you're going to find some resources. Of course, during this uh, season, we're using some books and resources, of course, the Bible, to 
help us with uh, unpacking each episode. Um, I know that Peter and Danny uh, throughout the episode kind of uh, give some resources, but since I have the mic right now, I just kind of take the opportunity to let you guys know um, the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible with D.A. Carson, general editor, is a very helpful guide. Uh, he really does a lot of good background description before each book in the Bible, so you get to really have a good context and uh, understanding of what's going on in the theological themes and whatnot. And then, of course, the introducing the Old Testament book by uh, Erdman's uh, by Robert Hubbard and Andrew Dearman is a very helpful book. It goes obviously through each book in the Old Testament. Pretty easy to uh, not not too cumbersome um, per book. It just kind of lays out things in a lay level understanding. So, and of course, I got to give a shout out to the Bible Project. Their videos are very helpful for a quick snapshot of understanding, um, even on a visual aspect on YouTube, just understanding each book in the Bible and uh, what it's all about. So I put all those together with all obviously my daily Bible reading. And then uh, these two gentlemen here who are both pastors obviously can uh, help with this conversation as well. And they know this stuff way better than me. So yeah, we'll get into this conversation. But also before uh, we jump in our show notes, uh, if you want to find a local church to call home, uh, there needs to be more Reformed churches out there. So Napark is a umbrella uh, kind of uh, or, a collection of a lot of different Reformed denominations, URC, OPC, PCA, and others. Uh, so if you are interested in church planting or finding a, a church to call home, engage with that, ask us questions and things like that. Um, and then also just more about uh, Dr. Hyde and his work and what he does and what he's up to. Um, and then of course, find us on YouTube, subscribe to us on YouTube, watch these conversations via video. Also engage with us on Twitter and Instagram. That's a good way to just kind of see our daily content and interactions. And then uh, of course, it's a podcast app that you can uh, just download and uh, listen to all of our videos if it's just audio-only format is what you'd like. So let's get into this conversation. We got a very interesting book in the Bible, <laughs> we're kind of like right after Leviticus. It's kind of like on a, we're still in the Pentateuch. Uh, we're leaving, picking up where Leviticus lives off. Moses is still the author. Um we got one more book in the Pentateuch after this one, Deuteronomy. Uh, but this this book, Numbers, describes one year at, uh, they just finished one year at Mount Sinai. And it's, it's dated probably, and this is debatable, uh, between four, 1450 to 1240 BC, uh, how the Israelites showed distrust in God and uh, unbelief, but God remained faithful to his people and his promises, and he still honors their choices. Uh, even though they want to kind of waste their lives away if they choose rebellion over obeying. So this book goes over an entire generation of those first Exodus people that rejected, uh, kind of the, had more unbelief in uh, you know God's promise to Abraham. So uh, the leader is Moses still. Um, Aaron is still uh, one of the priests. And God still has his plan fulfilled, uh, but it's just delayed to their children. So uh, let's go into this conversation and then we'll kind of lay out the questions and whatnot. So I'll, uh, I'll stop talking, let Peter and Danny <laughs> introduce themselves. I was about to say that Nick has described the entire of the book of numbers. I think we're, nice. I think we're all good now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I was going to say too, if, 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 uh, Bible plans have not died already in the book of Leviticus, they're, they're dead under the ground, six feet under for most people in the book of numbers. Cause Sometimes those first four <laughs> chapters of of census can, can get bogged down. So, yeah, Denny, what do you what do you think generally speaking about the Book of Numbers? Yeah, it's not the most exciting book for people because it's just the name, right? So they, they kind of like skip over it, like oh, numbers, and then like you see, there's like multiple um, uh, there's multiple censuses, sensi, the Sense Latin, yeah, sensi. Um, so, um, yeah, you know, people see, you know, you see census, you're like, oh, okay, it's just it's names and how many people they had in their family. But census and, is like, um, yeah, it's like the ability to to skip over. It's like, oh, okay, I could just skip over these next four chapters. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, so I think but people, I'm not saying you should, I'm just saying that's what people usually think. It's like, it's licensed to, to skip over these chapters. Mm -hmm. 
to zone Maybe out. There's obviously <laughs> some well-known stories in numbers that people yeah. generally, you know, kind of like hear about, you know, in their kind of generic Bible, you know, understanding like, okay, mm-hmm. the 40 years of wandering, there's mm-hmm. like this, you know, Jesus mentions like, you know, the, the, the serpent in the wilderness. Yeah. Just like it was lifted up. So I'll be lifted up. He, yep. he tells that to the disciples in, mm-hmm. uh, in John. Mm-hmm. Uh, chapter three, I believe it is. Um, he tells it to Nicodemus in chapter three. Yeah, the Nicodemus. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Right before the like, right next to the, the God's love the world passage. Uh, yep. The, yep. The, the it's like ten the, verses the, before. Yeah. Yep. So you know you have the spies who go in like the the grapes that are like the size of like watermelons. You know, and, was that uh, a product can't... placement, Nick? I just saw your Seahawks mug right in front of the uh, <laughs> oh. right in front of the cam. <laughs> As I lifted up, and then my first my first place in here is like sponsored by the Seahawks, and then just put <laughs> yeah. it down his, down his throat. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's got a lot of stuff that might seem tedious, and it has some like famous stories, so people don't really make much of it, other than kind of like yeah. maybe pick and choose for a Sunday school sure. lesson here or there, yeah, here or two. Yeah, yeah. for sure. No. Peter, anything we'll else? No, it's, I think, well, as we'll see, not, maybe not too dissimilar. I guess if Leviticus focuses a lot more on temple, temple duties, priestly duties, this might focus a little bit more on like, it kind of looks like, not like, not like things are breaking down because things have already been breaking down, but you just see a little bit more rebellion um, Mm. against God, against his promise, against the law. Um, but you also see, like we saw in the first three books of the Pentateuch, you also see, like you said, God's faithfulness undergirding all things, mm-hmm. um, and saying, regardless of the people's faithlessness, I will continue to be faithful to my covenant. Yeah. It should be assuring because it shows that we screw up and rebel and he still fulfills his promises. So, yep. <laughs> uh, going into the structure, um, and yeah. this, this is, you know, play around with this, please. Like, I'm sure there's other you know, recommended structures of understanding it. But the one I found and Dr. Hyde, you know, agree, disagree, give it a different one. Um, but the one I found was uh, you can break numbers up into three major sections and there's two traveling trips in between the two uh, in the middle. So I'll describe it. So the first section chapters one through 10 is the wilderness of Sinai. And then chapters 10 through 12, they're traveling. And then the second uh, section would be Wilderness of Paran, which is chapters 13 to 19. Then they're traveling in chapters 20 to 21. And then thirdly, the Wilderness of Moab, and that's chapters 22 to 36. Thoughts, comments? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Steve, gen- Dr. Danny, I think, has some comments. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'm preparing. I, well, I guess at, at, at the point of this airing, I've already started, but yeah, uh, I'm preparing right now to to teach through numbers for our congregational Bible study starting in January. Um, so yeah, in general, um, there's other kind of like ways to organize and to slice up the pie. So like mm. uh, one Jewish commentator talks like like organizes it chronologically. So like you have one mm-hmm. to ten, verse ten ten verse eleven. Um, that's dealing with um, like basically like uh like like one month that all that period happens in a one month so one one to ten ten is like a one month period uh they're in the wilderness and then like 10 12 to 21 9 it's not dated but like that's the 40 years mm. um and then 21 10 to 36 13 is all in five months it's mm. pretty it's pretty cool like he breaks it down chronologically mm. um so it's like it slows down and then goes really fast yep. and slow yep. Yep. Down and goes really fast um you know and then like nick uh, gave like in general, like there's also like ways to kind of like do it topographically. Hmm. So like they're in, they're in Sinai, roughly speaking one to 10 yep. and they're like, kind of like around Kadesh, like 10 to 20. Uh, and then they're moving from Kadesh to Moab, like the plains of Moab, like all the way from 20 to the end. So there's like different ways chronologically, topographically. There's also like some thematic, uh, yep. some cool thematic ones I've seen. Um, hmm. uh, I'm trying to find one of them I had written now, down. What's thematic um, mean? Thematic. So like just like yeah like thematic like the topics you know um like themes so like what yeah like one author basis like does an outline based on the on the census so like um chapter one one to twenty five eighteen it's like a huge chunk um that's the end of that first generation that sinned and died in the wilderness mm-hmm. so that yeah that first census right and then uh and then later on uh yeah. uh chapter twenty six one 
and then all the way to the end. So that's only 10 chapters. Yeah, um, first census and then second census, unlike yeah, the last The half. second census. So like there's one census beginning, those people, you know, generally speaking, die, the people that disbelieve. And then you have like, you know, that second census. So that, that new generation. So, um, you know, it's kind of like a death and a resurrection almost theme. Hmm. Yeah. Know. Or yeah. Like the first birth of the Israelites, like second birth, if you will, kind of thematically. So yeah. Oh, yeah, but yeah. It's good. In general, yeah, I mean that's a good you know the outline you gave is is a good helpful one. It's you know not the easiest book to kind of outline and organize, no. but yeah, no, it's one of the harder <laughs> books to outline. Yeah, this this is probably Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy are probably on the not the easier side, but like they're sliced, they're slightly easier to slice up um, in more like refined sections. Mm. The numbers is a little more difficult to to refine. Mm. Yep. Mm. So going in, I maybe I mispronounced this, but Bonabar, and it's, that is the meaning. Uh, Bamidbar. Bamidbar. So say it correctly yeah. for us. Bamidbar. B yeah. is in. So Bamidbar. So Bamidbar. Bamidbar. Yeah. Cool. So Bamidbar. Uh, yeah. And that's that's really the tra- uh, meaning in the wilderness, which translates to numbers. So what does numbers mean in the context of this book's theological theme? So we, we, we said the original word of what it, what it is and translates to in the wilderness, but, and why it translates actually to the word in English numbers, but why, why even this term, this word for the book, what does that point to the theological theme? Yeah, this, I guess, and Danny has, Danny wrote some notes on this too. So I'll let him dive into this further. Because Bamidbar in the wilderness yep. doesn't make much sense with our English translation mm-hmm. of the Septuagint, <laughs> Arithmoi, which is numbers. Yeah. Like, where on earth the Septuagint? Or where, where do we get this numbers from wilderness? Because they seem mm. like two opposing things, but they both play a rather large part in this book in general. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so I think I mentioned in the previous episodes, like normally... Uh, like according to Jewish usage, like the first word um, or two even is generally speaking the the title of the book, right? So like we call the book, the first book of the Bible Genesis, but that comes from the first Hebrew word, mm-hmm. uh, but a sheet, which is you know in the beginning mm-hmm. um, or like Exodus, um, the first, well, two, for the first two words of uh, in the Hebrew title, Wa'ela uh, Shemot, like these are the names. So um the first word of numbers is just the bar and, and yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. uh, the is actually like the fifth word. So yep. <laughs> um, so even though always... one of the words, the bar is still in that first word, it just has a different meaning in that yep. first word. So, um, and that like, like that, so like the, the, the Septuagint translators gave the title arithmoi, you know, numbers, um, you like arithmetic, which you'll, you'll hear yep. that They're like numbers. Yeah. Yep. So it's really it's it's just related to the census, right? Like the mm-hmm. this, these yeah. numbers of the tribes and how many you know men the rather, above rather large and, census kind of thing. So, there, it's like oh yeah, numbers. This makes sense. But you know, the, so if it would have just been named, you know, you know, in the wilderness or wilderness wandering, it probably would have been more exciting for people to read it. But then they, we're stuck with numbers. So there we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, if we had, but if, uh, if, you know, number four in the Pentateuch was in the wilderness. I feel like Bible yep. plans would not have stopped. And yep. uh, numbers. Oh, yeah, this is this is kind of cool. But like you like you asked, like, you know, what's the well, you know, what's the significance, you know, perhaps of like, you know, numbers, whatnot. Um uh, you know, it's these like like I mentioned, like there's two sen- there's two censuses, two sensei, um sensei. in in uh yes, sen- sensei, not sensei though. Um, what, what is the plural <laughs> census? Uh census well, is- like yeah, like sen- sensei, like the Latin. Censuses, right? plural census. Yeah. Is we just sens- say censuses, yeah, censuses. But um, <laughs> it just sounds weird. Yeah, it just doesn't. Yeah, doesn't really flow off the tongue very well. No, it is so not. numbers is easier to say. So <laughs> easier to say. The Lord commands Moses to, you know, uh, tell the tribes to get all their heads of their families together, and they have this long like. You know, they, they have this long census. They they all register their 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 names. You know, the names of the families, how many men they had that were, uh, what twenty years and above, because they could go to war. Mm-hmm. Um, and they number them off. Like that's yeah, the first chapter. People don't realize you know? the census here is not just like a straight census. It's this is like a war census. They're like they're preparing for war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Lord's going to send them into the promised land. Uh, they're going to have to fight. 
Yep. And so it's preparing them for this battle. And, um, you know, we'll come to this, but, you know, later on, they, you know, when they get rid of the battle, they send in some spies to kind of like, hey, scope it out. And, you know, it doesn't go very well. And so that's why they're wandering for 40 years. Mm. Uh, and then, it, you know, towards towards that end of that wandering, there's another census. Yep. People have died. That generation that disbelieved is, you know, now buried. Um, there's another census. And so, like, there's same tribes and so forth, but now there's different numbers. And um, and those are the ones who are going to the promised land, you know, through jo- uh, with Joshua later on. Yep. Um, it makes it kind of weird because then you got to, you, you like, Deuteronomy then comes in between the end of Numbers and Joshua. Yeah. Um, because Deuteronomy kind of tremendously you know, chronological from numbers to Deuteronomy. Yeah. Yeah. Deuteronomy is kind of like, you know, pauses and gives us like theological, you know, yeah. it's basically like, you know, sermons, it helps you make you know. sense of like the, what they call it the historical books kind of, yep. or right. fancy term like Deuteronomistic history. Like this is, yep. this is how the people did under the law. Mm. So yeah, it's basically, yeah, the book of these, the, the armies of the Lord and they're going to go into the land. Uh, they don't believe. So then they wander. And then they get numbered again to go into the land. So yeah, there you go. Yep. I've, and there could I've, be something here, and I won't make too much of this, yeah. but there could be something here of like it's a rather large nation at this point, and so it like it yep. has in some sense kind of multiplied, increased upon this land, and yes. now they're going to war, and so there is even just in the sense it's itself a sense like this place is expanding exactly how the Lord had promised, but it's certainly not as we see yep. during the war. It's, it's certainly not because of Israel's obedience. It's, it's because of God's promise in his covenant. Yep. Mm. I feel like uh, Leviticus and numbers are like the books that help you. Uh, they may be a little harder to get through, but they're like building on the story. They're getting the groundwork oh, yeah. because if it's like watching a movie or a series where you remember the beginning is like, oh, it was really slow in the beginning. It was hard to get through that beginning, but I'm glad I did because it built the characters. It built the, I understand the built this slowly built up the drama and then the exciting, then by the time the fun stuff comes you, you can understand it better <laughs> yeah yeah and it's somewhat so. foreign from us too there's a lot of this stuff that just doesn't make sense to us in modern day there's a lot of these places that we're like we don't know where they are necessarily or they're destroyed so there's just yeah there's a lot of not unknowns but there's just more foreignness to us today and in, in a lot of these books especially so numbers sure so getting into kind of how we're more just pointing to christ because i mean we could talk about a lot of stuff biblical yep. theology can go in a lot of just spend a lot of time in different categories but we're focusing on how this is specifically seeing christ in throughout the scriptures so some things some landmarks some christ jesus landmarks that i see and then i'm sure i'm missing some more so add more and then but you know the ones i saw was like de- definitely we'll talk about moses striking the rock not once, but twice. Mm-hmm. The significance of that the bronze snake on a cross at the end of numbers, um, the Levites and priests, uh, and, and then the uh, smoke coming out of the tabernacle that guides them. And then really interesting, the Balaam's blessings and prophecy mm-hmm. um, where he was asked by the King of Moab to lay out curses, but he could only, he could always speak blessings and then he saw yep. a prophecy too um, of a king of Israel. But how, how do these major events and maybe I'm missing some in numbers actually are real examples of pointing forward to Jesus literally as type uh, typological. Yeah. I'll add two more, one smaller yeah. that's maybe a little less known, but still there. It's Phineas's like obedience. I think it was towards the end or like middle ish of, numbers and then the number six um benediction the blessing of of aaron the lord keep you the lord bless you his uh, his face to shine upon you his countenance to turn towards you um i think michael morales in his book i think exodus old and new i think it's an nsbt series he talks about this blessing and there's another book um i think it's michael gloto from rts I'm blanking. I think I think it's the Lord bless and keep you. I think I think that's the book. It's from Crossway. It's recent. It's within the last few months. But both of them kind of wax on <clears throat> number six, the the blessing, especially as it relates to kind of tabernacle language with the lampstand over the showbread, um, and very similar with the high priest blessing the people. So that's also I think a a rather strong marker of of the gospel as well. 
at least God's face shining upon his people, uh, which you'll see later on in numbers and especially in <laughs> closer to this right after this is unfaithfulness. And I think right before this is unfaithfulness too, <clears throat> at least between the, around the blessing. So you get, yeah, some more explicit blessing language in this as well. Danny, what do you think? No, yeah. I mean, I think we mentioned in the last or two episodes ago, you know, Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness and the Lord is standing there mm-hmm. on the rock and he strikes the rock. So the, the Lord, we mm-hmm. said, took the punishment that the Israelites deserved. Uh, and then because of that, the water comes out of the rock. Yep. Um, Paul tells us, Rab- Rabbi Saul, I like to t- remind my congregation, yeah. Rabbi Saul. <laughs> Uh, Rabbi Saul reminds us that the rock was Christ. First Corinthians ten. And, yep. um, isn't it interesting that when uh, when Jesus was on the cross and the and the and the and the centurion stabbed well, him out of his side, side yep. that water came out. Water mm-hmm. and blood. Yep. So, you know, all those tie tie-ins. But then it's interesting in Numbers, we're told a little more detail about what happened was that Moses hit the rock two times, yeah, which is not what he was told to do. Yeah, he was told to strike it, and then the water would come out. He hits it twice, but Danny, because... that's not a big deal. He was like, "What's what's bad that that uh, that Moses struck a twice? Like, what's the big deal? Once versus <laughs> twice." <laughs> well, he didn't do what God said to do. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of a big deal, you know. Uh, he was disobedient. You know, he's supposed to be the mediator, right, and the, and the savior, and the and the one who's liberated them. The typological, he's the typological savior. Is the Messiah? Yeah. Yep. Uh, he's to see the woman at the, at that point. And uh, yeah, he doesn't he doesn't obey. So he's he's a disobedient. So he's so he's not the, he's not a messiah. Yeah, he's not the the obedient one. Um, that one's still to come. But he hits it twice, and because he hits it twice, then Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land. So he's banned, you know, yeah. from because I guess even land. up to this point, up until him striking the rock twice, and maybe you can kind of put a qualifier around him talking to um, Yahweh before he talks to Pharaoh, and he says, "I can't speak," which like obedience is obedience. I'm. I don't, I don't really know where I fall on that, but it's like up until this point, he's a relatively strong candidate for obedience. Like he does kind of what he's supposed to do. Um, End of Exodus, he does all the priestly duties in Leviticus. So you're kind of left wondering um, by Moses, the writer, like is, is Moses, maybe Moses the guy. And then he strikes the rock twice and you're like, oh shoot, he's yeah guy. I mean, even the even the first chapter of the census, it tells us multiple times that uh, as the Lord commanded Moses, so he did. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, up to this point, he's been relatively faithful, relatively fa- pretty faithful, pr- pretty yeah. faithful dude, you know. And uh, but then he, he strikes the rock. Tw- yeah, strikes the rock twice. Like he guess, quote unquote, one act of disobedience. Yep. And he's told, yeah, you're not entering the land. Yep. No land for you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Soup Nazi, right there. No land <clears throat> yeah, for you. Yeah, which kind of like emphasizes like what Nick was saying emphasizes that like, it's not just like righteousness as compared to other people. It's perfect righteousness, perfect obedience, yep. um, perfect uh, holiness, everything. It's not just, okay, you have mm-hmm. one mistake. Okay. That's, 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 that's pretty good. Yeah. No, you gotta do everything perfectly. Yeah. He's yeah. automatically disqualified. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it's an awesome, you know, it's an awesome typological picture of, you know, one to come. And so is that, that bronze snake. I mean, they're all, you know, the people that, that are cursed, they're bitten. And yep. uh, the Lord says, okay, you know, take the same snake that just bit everybody and make a bronze one, um, put it up on, on a pole mm-hmm. and hold it up. And everybody who mm-hmm. looks at it, it's just it's blessed you know, by it's it. like, it just sounds so crazy to us. Like anyone it's who weird, looks at yeah. it is healed. Well, the gospel is foolishness, right? I'm it's pretty not... sure it's the same Hebrew word for snake as it is in the garden too. Genesis three, um, the Nahash. Nahash, yeah, yeah. Um, because that's Genesis um, 3, where the serpent comes in as crafter, and he's the one obviously who tempts Adam and Eve to sin. Yep. And then with numbers, then the serpent, the thing that cursed Adam and Eve, or I guess brought the curse mm. in, is the very one who, by looking upon this, lifted up their they're blessed, which is yeah, and I'm not yeah, and I'm not sure personal. I haven't like studied enough to know, but um I'm not sure if it ties into the to the snake serpent that uh Moses staff turns into that eats up the snakes. Oh, of the, true, yeah. Yeah, of the Egyptian. I, uh, I think ma- it might. Magicians. I think it might so, be the same word. I'm not sure. I have to look it up. It'd be cool to trace it out. I'd have to, I'd have to do that. Um, that'd be kind of fun. But I think it um, is. Yeah, but then it all points to Jesus because Jesus himself says it does. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> like, yeah. This just, is this is the famous yeah. John three for God to love the world. This is a few verses before that where he's talking to Nicodemus. 
yep. who's like the dude. He's the teacher of the Pharisees. He's yep. anybody knows the Old Testament. It's Nicodemus walking in the night to to Jesus, mm-hmm. and he has no idea what he's talking about when he's talking to Jesus, as if like he doesn't know the Old Testament at all. Yeah, he's talking about new birth, <clears throat> and he's like, "What are you talking about? How am I supposed to enter my mother's womb and then come right back out for my second time?" And then Jesus talks to him about the serpent that's laid upon the pole, which I think is John 3, 14 and 14. 15. Yeah. 3, 14. Um, and the serpent that's is like, as the serpent was lifted up. Um, so the son of man will be lifted up as well. And then he gets into for God to love the world that he gave his only son. Whoever shall believe in him shall have eternal life, which is exactly what happened in numbers. I mean, more or less that they look upon him for their blessing. Yep. Yeah, yeah it, it is interesting. He picks a serpent. And like you said, there's there's other ties to that, like Moses's staff. Yeah, well, and whatnot. the serpent's under his sovereign control, so he can do whatever the heck he wants with the serpent. Yeah, yeah and the yeah. thing that cursed the Israelites in the wilderness becomes the thing that blesses them by they're looking at it, which yep. Jesus and John 3 ties looking to believing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's like a uh, banner of sorts, too. It's Yep. Like a, it's like a, a war banner. Yeah. So I, I don't and just really like the serpent it, yeah. was the thing that cursed the Israelites, you know, by biting them. Uh, in the same way, you know, Christ is the one who who is the curse. He he became a curse for us, as Paul says, Rabbi Saul, mm-hmm. um, became a curse for us on the cross. But yet, the thing that is the curse is also the blessing because we look to Him and believe in Him. We find everlasting life, which, you know, like I said a minute ago, like it seems so crazy, like and ridiculous, but that's why it's the gospel. It's not the wisdom of man. It's God's wisdom. Yep. Mm. Totally. Yeah. And maybe too, like I was talking about with the, the, um, the ironic blessing, not the ironic blessing, the ironic blessing. I know if I don't say that very clearly, yeah. people are like, what are you saying? Ironic blessing, ironic blessing, like yeah. a Aaron. Aaronic blessing. A Aaron. Yeah. Aaron. Oh my gosh. Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> but the Aaronic blessing. Um, to make it very clear, <clears throat> which I, I thought it was really cool reading Morales, and I've peeked at Gloto's work on number six too, where it seems like what um what Aaron is referring to is something of the lampstand. In the tabernacle, and if you know what the like, if you know what the lampstand does in the tabernacle, is they they um, oil it up, they they light it, and then the lampstand shows the showbread. And if people know what the showbread is, I think, and it's generally acknowledged, the showbread is the people of Israel. This this bread that it, the light is shining upon this bread, the countenance upon this bread, and so when Aaron's blessing the people, he's also referring to the lamp, the this light shining upon the people of God. So it's, it's God's presence in front of his people in the midst of, even in the midst of the rebellion. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And moving on to, uh, Oh, just, just one thing to mention about that. Um, that came to mind. Yeah. Uh, if you, so it says there in number six, um, that, uh, Oh goodness. Where is it? Yeah, the Lord says, so shall they put, speaking of the priest, my mm-hmm. name upon the people of Israel, uh, and I'll bless them. So, uh, and we know the way they did that was like they would lift their hands, right? Yep. Like yep. that was the way of showing the blessing. And yep. um, um, Jesus does this very thing, which I've always been kind of blown away by what yeah. it says in um, Luke's gospel, the very, very end after resurrection. And then it says uh, he led them out as far as Bethany, which is just east of Jerusalem. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them, and then he's taken up, and then they worship him. So Jesus, the the great high priest, the final high priest, yep. who's just offered the once and for all sacrifice for all sins, uh, the last thing he does before he ascends is he lifts up his hands like an ironic priest. I mean, he's a priest, he's a priest in order of Melchizedek, going yep. back to our mm-hmm. episode on Genesis. Yeah. But he lifts up his hands as a priest and blesses his disciples. So... Yeah, he yeah. puts his puts the name he puts the name of the Lord upon them is what yep. number six says, which is yep. pretty cool. Mm. Yeah, and even around this too, which I forgot as well. You get the Nazarite vow right before this, mm-hmm. uh, and well, what does Jesus describe Jesus the Nazareth, and especially so? This is like John one when um, I think it's Nathaniel asked him what what kind of good comes out of Nazareth because Nazareth is Naz the Nazarite vow is like a 
a priestly kind of vow of sorts. Um, I don't think it's Levitical. I think it's because you're not of the priestly line. So you take this, you take out like a voluntary vow of sorts. Um, but then it's also, it's a, it's a Hebrew word for like a crown of sorts. Like a, a nezer is a, is a crown. So you're also crowning yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's some cool stuff around this too. And you also get this in what well, judges 13, which we'll get to in a few weeks, but Judges 13, um, it's, uh, Samson, his mom <clears throat> basically makes the Nazarite vow for him. Uh, and so he's a, he's a, he's a Nazarene of, or he's a Nazarite of sorts. Cause he's not supposed to shave his head and he's not supposed to drink liquor. He's not supposed to do any yep. of that stuff, which is all Nazarene. And that story with Samson in numbers and, uh, Judges 13, which refers back to number six, is also a pretty striking parallel with Mary with um, First Samuel 2. I forget the woman in First Samuel 2. Um, Hannah. Yeah. Yeah. Hannah and her barrenness. There's there's just a there's just a ton of like parallels with number six and and Nazarite Val and barrenness and all this stuff. Oh, that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah lots of awesome typological stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then so when when we're looking at numbers you're it's pretty clear there's just a lot of complaining from the israelites a lot of <laughs> are you rebellion. sure is there is there complaining in the book of numbers <laughs> <laughs> a lot of a lot of disobeying a lot of unbelief a lot of just um they want to go they're, they're wanting to go back to egypt i mean even yep. even moses's brother and sister publicly yeah. kind of shame him and <laughs> they don't 12. want to be yeah. the leader anymore and uh, they don't want the life in the wilderness anymore. They want to learn return to Egypt, even if that means slavery and death there. They want their, you know, three hots and a cot back in Egypt rather than a 40-year-long camping trip. So uh, they don't want, you know, the food God's providing. And so we see that we see in numbers, we see God's people rebelling against him and their dependence, uh, whether they know it or not, is is looking for a mediator. They need a mediator, yep. whether they know it or not, whether it's Moses, Aaron, or priest. Um, so how does this need for a mediator we see in numbers reflected towards the gospel? <clears throat> and I saw, um, based on looking into it myself, first Timothy two and Hebrews nine kind of helps with this. Yeah. You, you need a mediator because the people can't see God face to face. They're unholy. They're unclean. They can't walk into his presence. So they need a priest to walk into the presence of God once a year to make the sacrifice that we talked about last week in the, the day of atonement uh, and to mediate the word. So he gets the word and then he proclaims the word. So not really priestly so much as prophetical, mm-hmm. um, but which is one aspect of the mediator as well. And he sets up the laws with them on a kingly sort of aspect, but also proclaiming it through his prophetical office. Uh, so they need somebody between them and God, but it's not yet a God man. It's just a man who can receive this and then give it to people. Can't, but can't like really do anything about it himself. He could just proclaim it to them. And yes, he can mediate and um, not fight, but like kind of fight on their behalf a little bit. It's like, Hey, don't destroy this people, even though they're rebelling against you, but he himself can't do anything because it's just a man. So there's, they're still waiting for somebody who can do something. Um, versus just a man who mediates between them and God. Mm. Danny, anything else? Yeah, you know, just to tie that into the story of Numbers, you know, Aaron and Aaron and uh, Miriam and Aaron. Um, yeah, they they're they're fighting their own their own uh, brother, mm-hmm. and uh, you got sibling rivalry, which <clears throat> reminds us a lot of another book in in, in Genesis. You got a yep. bunch of sibling sibling rivalry in the book of Genesis, so you get yep. somewhat similar in Numbers. So you get that going on, chapter 13, spies go in, they all come back, Joshua and Caleb give a good report. The other 10 are like, no, we can't go, they're too big, people, do, people don't believe. And um, then the people rebel, hey, you know, there's not enough graves out here, you know, this and that and the other thing, we want to go back to Egypt, you know. And so the Lord, uh, so Moses has to intercede. That's the end of chapter 14, where the Lord, um, he relents after Moses intercedes and re- Moses reminds them, uh, remi- Moses reminds the Lord, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, hey, if if you don't bring the people to the promised land, like you said, all the nations around us are going to say, like, the Lord wasn't strong enough yeah. to do this. And so the Lord relents and he has mercy upon them. But as a as a consequence for their sins, he says, those who you know saw the land and who heard the report who didn't believe, they're not going to go. 
So that means a whole generation has to, you know, walk in circles <laughs> yeah. until they all, until that generation dies off, but the Lord brings them in. So yeah, yeah there's, there's like the judgment and the salvation, you know, going on, but at the same time, it's not ultimate. And so even Moses's intercession and his mediatorship, which is a, which is an amazing blessing to them, um, still is only a picture of a much greater uh, servant to come who will actually, as Hebrew says, uh, he's able to save Hebrew seven. He's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. So, mm. yep, totally. What, what about the significance of the Levites uh, disobeying and rejecting Moses as the main uh priest mediator and, and God intervened and he's like, no, I only speak to Moses face to face. The Levites are the ones who guard and protect the temple and do some of the sacrificing. And Moses doesn't do the inner Holy of Holies, ironic sacrificing, but he does mediate between him and God, which is a particular office. So like you can see the yep. offices are split um, and they're not satisfied, I guess, with, with their own, with their own mandated office. And they're like, what I want at that office is like most, most is like, well, this is the office I was given. And we'll get clearer into this in Deuteronomy 18. Once we get there, that Moses is a prophet in the line of prophets, like the prophet in the line of prophets. Um, but that's not their, that's not their office. Yep. Oh, perfect. Um, before I get into my main, my, my last question that just kind of brings everything home. There's a few other kind of loose ends. I wanted to make sure I just kind of, Put out we gotta get to, to Balaam too. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I I think yeah. Let's just talk about that real quick because I did bring it up earlier. But the yep. extra significance of Balaam and the king of Moab and Balaam. Yeah, really strange story of Balaam's ass. <laughs> yeah. like, what do you do with this? So what's going on with Balaam and the and the king of Moab? Can you can, just summarize that story and how it's significant to to God's promises? Yeah, Danny, why don't you start off on this one? I've yeah, I'll, I'll um, add to it after you're done. So, yeah, basically Balak, um, this this king, um, and his his name is like something like um, like he he who destroys, and he is like implied like whatever god, like you know he who you know he, meaning this god destroys. So he's he's like a he's a king. He's a powerful king. He's a, his father's named him. You know this powerful king who's going to destroy his enemies and you know in the name of his god and whatnot. And so, you know, all of a sudden, like, there's a huge dust cloud coming towards him in the wilderness. <laughs> and it's like, you know, according to, uh, according to numbers one, there's like 603, what, 603,550. There's a lot. Uh, 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 you know, male fighting men. Um, you know, and we hear, you know, so just like for us as Americans, like we're hearing a lot about like, you know, my, my, like, like migration to the United States. Yeah. And you hear a lot of people, you know, in the in the news, you know, in politics saying like, oh, you know, there, you know, there's X numbers of people, hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people have crossed the border, you know, and most of them are like, you know, male, you know, like, like uh, male, yeah. uh, you know, male men who are like a fighting age. Yep. So you hear, you hear that kind of language even yeah. today in politics. So like, just imagine being a king and, you know, you're in this sort of dusty, you know, arid, like kingdom I mean, you have this massive cloud coming towards you and it's not a dust cloud from the wind it's like you know an army mm -hmm. um and so he hires this prophet this well-known like mesopotamian prophet balaam to curse trying to like trying to yep. dissuade them like yep. <laughs> theologically because this guy can't he can't win a battle like militarily so he's gonna no. like dissuade them theologically he's gotta try curse to, like, them in order to win yeah he's gotta try to like get their spirits down to like not trust their god and so he figures like, hey, I got I to gotta use like, you know, like we would say today, like misinformation. And I got to yep. use like a, <laughs> yep. like an online like a misinformation uh, you know, campaign, a smear campaign, yeah, basically. And so, you know, this Balaam guy's like, OK, cool. You know, I'm going to make a make a wad of cash um, <laughs> yeah. doing this. And it's like the, and it's crazy. Like he's on his way. Wrong. Yeah, <laughs> he's on his way, ready to, you know, to do his do his you know thing. And uh, the story says, like, he's riding on this little donkey and he gets this little path and. The angel of the Lord has a has this flaming sword or has a sword blocking the path, which should remind us of like the, oh, the Lord, the, the angel in the garden, Garden that, of Eden, that, like replayed. Yeah, 100 yeah. percent forbade them. From, yeah, forbade them from going back in. Yep. Um, you know, just all that angel of the Lord stuff we've seen so far 
in, in the Old Testament. kind of paradise language of sorts. Yep. Yeah. And just like, and then, you know, he's like, he doesn't see the angel, but the donkey does, which is so crazy. Uh, and so <laughs> well, it's he, almost he like kicked... this guy, this guy is so self-interested that he can't see it. So his donkey's butt sees this yeah. of all things. So as the donkey keeps going forward, he keeps kicking the donkey, like, you know, because donkey, our donkey like wants to stop and he keeps kicking yeah. it to go forward. And eventually, like, um, <laughs> literally know, he gets, kicking against the goads. He gets, yeah, he gets knocked off. And the donkey's like, the donkey's like, you know, seemingly like prostrated before the angel of the Lord. Um, <laughs> and he kicks the donkey. And then the donkey's like, what are you doing, bro? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, why are you treating me this way? And like, yeah. so the donkey talks, right? Yeah. Um, which is nuts, you know, just like snakes yeah. talk in the garden, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's like yeah, regardless it's just, whatever man wants to do or doesn't want it, like man doesn't want to worship Yahweh, and so yep. even the created things will worship Yahweh. And the and the and 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 you know he's come to curse the Israelites, but now the Lord tells him like you can only bless them, and he actually the Lord reminds him of well the Lord re- repeats the language yeah. of Genesis where he says yep. like you know when when God tells Abraham like those who curse you will curse those who mm-hmm. those who bless you will bless Genesis twelve repeated yeah. And he he says that to him. It's like, hey, you gotta you gotta you can only say what I tell you to say. You can't curse these people. You have to bless them. And so then he gives like these blessings. And King Balak is like, what are you doing? Like that's not what I paid you for. And he's like, I can only do what the Lord has told me yeah, to do. I'm sorry, man. Um, it's just what's coming out. And then uh, like in those prophecies, there's all these like, oh my gosh, amazing, the prophecies are something like, else. Yeah, there's like always like amazing like messianic language and a lot Some of those like, highly charged messianic language in the entire pentateuch is right yeah. here so it's like describes israel as a lion yeah which is genesis really 29 like, yeah that's gonna like yeah like like stand up and like attack and devour its enemies so it's like yep. and it has that language of like uh <clears throat> like there's a scepter that's gonna rise up out of israel that's gonna crush the forehead of moab that sounds like genesis 49 the, yeah, it's that, the, it's the, that the line like, of judah verbatim yeah it sounds and Psalm like two a little uh, bit as well Sounds like Genesis three fifteen, the crushing yep. of the sea of the yep. serpents. Yep. Um, there's a star that's gonna rise. Like it's just crazy. Like, yeah. like all the language there is so like forward looking in the old to the to the to the coming of the Messiah. Um, but yeah, so in other words, like the Lord, like like when Nick uh what, what Peter just said, like when, when Paul says like or when the Lord tells Paul, like, why are you kicking against the goats? Like mm-hmm. you can't fight against God. <laughs> <laughs> like you can't fight and win against God. And so like that's what Balaam is. I will showing. turn creation on you. Yeah. Yep. And the Lord is going to like, Hey, you can't curse them or you'll be cursed. You got to bless them. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just like, it's like people only know the story for like the talking donkey. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah. You'll hear about that. Yep. Not all the other stuff that's like points forward to Christ. Like, yeah. Like it's so just, thinking awesome. explicitly. Yeah. Yep. It's so awesome. <laughs> One and, of the things I want to bring you out, kind of adding to what Danny was saying, which honestly, I had never heard of this until Westminster and it was confirmed um, actually by an English playwright, Dorothy Sayers. So she was in the 1940s. She wrote a, uh, actually Nick and I had one of, uh, one of her like editors recently. The oh, name cool. is Catherine Whiskey. Weir. Yeah. 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 Weir. That's right. We had like the editor of her 12 kind of part Advent series. <clears throat> and Dorothy Sayers catches this um, when the Magi come in to uh find uh, jesus in uh a, well, quote unquote a manger in bethlehem although it's not not really a manger but that's that's for another that's for another day but that's it's uh that star in the east that the magi are following is a direct callback to numbers 24 and i'll, I'll read it real quick and people will hear um what i'm saying this is uh this is numbers 24 I'm looking through right now. I just saw it. Numbers 24, um, 17 to 19. <laughs> so it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the schools of all the people of Sheth. Edom will be conquered. Seir, his enemy, will be conquered. But Israel will grow strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. So you see like 20 biblical allusions just yep. like paths, there's not 20, but there's like, there's, there's a lot packed into these three verses. And so when the Magi is seeing the star in the East, you can like, it's almost like compressing all this prophecy into that star. And that's, that's what they're looking for. 
Yep. Wow. No, that's cool. And when we when we finally get to that story in Matthew, I'm gonna well, I'm gonna give my understanding of that. I don't think it's a, <laughs> a, a comet. I don't think it has anything to do with like astrological no. stuff. It, no, it's 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 the glory of God. Yep. It's the that's fire awesome. that once followed the Israelites in the wilderness. Hundred like percent. The, the, the imagery of God's glory. It just looks to them like a star. Yep. Right. Because it says that the star, like, which like, is literally, what, uh, literally descended, uh, was resting over the child. Yep. How does a comet rest over a child? Mm. Come on, people. Which the the, the king God. he completely misunderstood because he goes to, basically <laughs> to his astrologers and to his uh, is like, what, yep. like what's happening? Like, so he misses it. To everyone, everyone misses yep. it. Exactly. And it's like you said, it's the presence of Yahweh in that. But it all, yeah. But it all fiery... goes back to number twenty-four. It's a star. Yep. That star language. So. Yeah, I, I completely missed that. And then Sayers yeah. actually kind of compressed it all into one. Oh, that's cool. And showed me it's like, oh, this is this is taking a lot of stuff, a lot yep. of illusion into one. The crushing, the scepter coming out of Judah, hmm. the uh, star from the east, and then the uh, Genesis three fifteen language. And so, yeah, and yep. Matthew or Luke, Matthew and Luke, when you see the star, it's uh like it's it's the gospel writer's way of saying. That like that's what those prophecies pointed to was this, this, yep. this point right here. Oh, great reference. And that's what yeah. this season's all about is finding <laughs> those things that point to yeah. Christ. And yeah. do- thank you, Dorothy Sayers, for, for yeah. that. And, I yeah, mean, and a lot of people before her too. This is I think yeah. a lot of not Jewish commentary, but they, they kind of bring this out a lot of the illusions. This is maybe a call out for a lot of evangelical pastors and reform. You should be reading a lot more Jewish commentaries than you are. Um, good mm-hmm. Jewish commentaries, but some of them are really strong on inner biblical illusions yep. they catch a lot of stuff that we miss yep they don't bring yes. it to the new testament which is which is wrong but they catch a lot of inner old testament stuff that we miss i also find it like uh really interesting and uh cool i know cool is not a theological word but <laughs> just <laughs> cool's pretty uh, theological i like cool uh that you could say keep... awesome that's pretty theological awesome Aw. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there we go uh, that's where it comes from. Um, the king of Moab and Balaam are definitely not Christian. <laughs> they're definitely not people of Israel. They're not, they're enemies of God and God still intercedes and interacts with them. Yep. So what happens? Um, that happens to Abraham too. Abraham talks to the Pharaoh in Genesis 12 and he talks to Abimelech. He talks to a few other people who are, as far as we know, or at least not explicitly mentioned, not of God's people, mm-hmm. and yet they still point to Abraham to like, hey man, you're doing doing some bad yeah. stuff. Some commentaries even talk about Balaam as a, in a very early example of a Gentile who believes in the Lord hmm. because he obeys True. and he listens to God, True. the Lord. Okay. Um, so I'm not convinced of that, but yeah, you know, there are there are people that make that argument that he yeah. is, uh, you know, he's it's a Gentile, least, he's an outsider. Yeah, it's at least like a possible interpretation. Yep, yeah. totally. But regardless, yeah, the Lord uses, you know, in the case of Balak, he uses Balak's like, you know, who's a who's a who's a Gentile, who's an outsider. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he uses his like bad intentions <laughs> yeah. for yep. good. Like yeah, the Lord, yeah. as you know, as Romans eight tells us, like the Lord yep. turns all things for good for those who love Him. Right. So. Yep. Absolutely. It's an example of the like, he wants the to defeat Israel through a curse, and yet he is yep. through his through his donkey, the the prophecy is kind of further um fulfilled and further pointed forward. Yeah, yeah. the Lord shows like yeah, the, the Lord's overarching providence and care and ability to 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 turn even wickedness to good, like is shown in that story. Yep. Yeah, Absolutely. that's that's what I was getting at too, is just the level of comfort we should feel hearing these stories of God's providence yep. um, is just so helpful because mm-hmm. yep. um, now is there any, now this is another event and, you know, thing that happens in, in numbers that's pretty significant, but is there any significant ties or, or backdrop to the spies now that were sent out and one from each tribe. So that's 12, but yep. then there's only two spies that come back with belief and that's Caleb yep. and Joshua. The rest of the yep. 10 others say, Hey, no, we can't, we can't win. We can't get to the promised land. It's too dangerous. But yep. Caleb and Joshua come back and they say, no, we have belief. We can succeed. Uh, we have faith. Anything to add to that? Yeah. At least kind of on the surface level, you get a connection with Joshua and judges and so because joshua and caleb play a 
pretty big mm-hmm. role in all of or a lot of Joshua, the book of Joshua, at least Joshua 15. And then they kind of begin judges, judges one to like three. There's a lot, there's a lot of Joshua's the beginning of it. He dies, his death is recorded in, Josh, in Judges one. And then Caleb is referenced in or Judges three. So there's at least on surface level, there's connection between numbers, Joshua and Judges. Oh, okay. Danny, anything else? Yeah, just uh like point it to Hebrews three and four. There's this whole discussion of rest yep. and um so even when Joshua brings the Israelites, Joshua, one of the two yeah. spies that gave the good report, right? Uh, who believed, who makes it into the promised land, who's the leader after Moses dies. Uh, Hebrews uh, 4, 9 says, even if Joshua was uh, able, uh, even if Joshua had given them rest, mm-hmm. uh, God would not have spoken of another day to come. And so then there is a Sabbath rest. Yep. Uh, Sabbatismos is the Greek term there. Yep. Uh, there's a Sabbath rest still for the people of God. And so, the whole like exhortation in Hebrews is to believe in the promises of the Lord, mm-hmm. uh, just like Joshua and Caleb did. So, yeah, um, and knowing that the one who's come, our Joshua, Jesus, Yehoshua, um, he has brought us rest. Yeah. You know, he says, "Come to me, all who labor, who are heavy laden, I will give you rest." So, Matthew eleven twenty nine. Yep, all those promises are f- uh, fulfilled in him. So you're saying we yeah. shouldn't be looking for a land somewhere <laughs> in Jerusalem to. <laughs> To see all these prophecies come back into with all these wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes, this is not. Oh boy, <laughs> are you sure? Are you sure, Danny? You're, you're, are you are you against all the dispensational interpretations out there? Have me on for a second a season. A lot of rest on this yeah. land stuff too. We'll have to do we'll have to do a second season on millennialism. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, they look at this land, and the thing is, like, the land itself is a sign of the like the of the true land of of heavenly. Kind of yep. new creation, like yes, we're looking at this land is what God promises, but the ultimate promise is in the new creation, the new heavens and new earth, which that's that's what we ultimately believe in and look forward to. Yep. And the land the Israelites are in right now is not even not even the land that's not even the same place. The Lord described. Yeah. The Lord described it from the from the river Euphrates all the way to the Mediterranean. Like that's the way it's described in terms yeah. of uh, even when Solomon gave them rest, like the land was so much more expansive than this little parcel they have today. So yeah. you know. I mean, it's just that's why we can't equate the geopolitical yeah. status of the nation of Israel, modern state of Israel, with the Israel of God and uh, old, even the Old Testament. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, there's, there's a lot of confusion there. Yep. And I would even add too, um, Moses was a covenantal theologian because he prays to God to be faithful to the promise uh, given to Abraham. So he sees that covenantal promise of the abrahamic covenant and how it's applied to him and he's not a separate thing that he's trying to do he's he's he sees himself as um the abrahamic covenant moving forward yeah even though moses himself does not enter that land correct that's right that's right yeah he believes that yeah even uh the land to come is pictured in the land in which they're going into and that that whole generation the exodus generation including Moses. Uh, the tragic part is because of that disobedience and God says, okay, well, I won't let this generation enter the promised land, but your children will. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they, um, they also don't mean we'll, we'll get into this in the historical books. They get into the promised land, but they definitely don't, they don't stay in the promised land. Yeah. They kind of go in and out multiple times. And they actually, yeah. And even when they get in, they don't do exactly what God said, which they is don't do anything of what God says. Yeah. So mm-hmm. They're in, even the in the book of Joshua, when like they're not in really Canaan, doing yeah, that. <clears throat> they don't destroy the altars. They don't. They loot. They they take stuff. They yep. they keep what they're not supposed to be keeping. That's right. Um, yeah. Even when they're in there, they don't completely purify the land, and because the temple, which is what they're supposed to be setting up, is not set up until way later because yep. of their disobedience. Yep. Uh, that's why they're stiff-necked people, is what he says. Yep. yep. I mean, they're, the they're... temple doesn't come until First Kings, which is. Yep. Yeah. Way later than the book of Joshua. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what we see too is God sends partial acts of judgment, but much more grace and keeps his promises despite rebellious yep. and complaining people. So people you could still say face, one covenant say, of grace, multiple administrations that this, this covenant of grace underlies all things, regardless of our disobedience, that the covenant of grace is, is where the promise is fulfilled and, and found out, not in our, our yep. performance. Well, and there's still 
people his people still face consequences and yeah yeah temporal um, yeah temporal consequences in yeah. some cases those who are outside the faith yeah eternal consequences but yeah there's definitely temporal consequences like exile from the land all this stuff is temporary and i could see that to the third mark of the church of how this is still his people mm-hmm. but there is what is that third mark of the church that we see yeah, this well, discipline of the church. Discipline. Yeah, third mark. But yeah, you see the visible, invisible distinction. Even all of Israel, like Paul says in Romans 9, is still not Israel, Israel. It's not, not the, the pure Israel. It's still a mixed community, even at this yeah, point. Yeah, but there's still d- discipline uh, happening, but it's probably yep. fulfilled. Chastisement yeah. or, yeah, kind of judgment. Perfect. I mean, that wraps up all the stuff that I have. Any Anything else to, oh, actually, last question to bring it all home. Is kind of repetitive, but the mother promise we want to ever always end every episode on Genesis three fifteen and how it's developed to this book that we're talking about today with numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Danny, why don't you why don't you keep this yeah, off? Um, since you, you gotta you've got to preach this on Sunday, or at least I you mean, have to go through a uh, Bible study on this. It seems like it, it's it, in numbers. It seems like the seed of the serpent is winning. <laughs> Kind of does, yeah. Yeah, because you got a lot of military censuses, but then a ton of rebellion after each census. But there's also glimpses of the seed of the woman's victory, like we just mentioned from uh, the story of Balaam, right? The prophecy of Balaam. So there definitely are glimpses and uh, temporary, like little, yeah, you know, yeah. The the light is entering into the darkness and showing us like what's going to come. So you know, we still have hope, and we're still looking forward to that coming. That's that that uh, that that seed to come, who's going to uh, you know ultimately do all the things that these particular Israelites couldn't do, even even Moses. Yep. So. Yeah, Israel still growing and multiplying the land, but it's not righteousness necessarily that's growing and multiplying. It is still rebellion and wickedness, and yet the mother promise is still undergirding all these things, regardless of how terribly Israel, and you could say regardless of how terribly we do the promise of God is still true that we are his people yep. and he's our God. Yeah. That wraps up everything I got. So <laughs> Peter, want to, want to close us out with uh, where to find you guys. And yeah. So you can, you can find me at uh, redeemer OPC in Santa Maria, California. We have Sunday school at nine forty-five, which I'm technically kind of using this in our Sunday school. So seeing Jesus in the old Testament, I'm double dipping. Um, so if you want to get actually a little bit right. kind of mer- more into the weeds, Sunday school at 945. And then our Sunday service is at 11. Um, and we're at this place called Temple Bethel, which is like northern Santa Maria. But yeah, you can find me there. And Danny, where can they find you? Cool. Yeah. Uh, Oceanside United Reformed Church. I've got my Dutch hat on today. If you haven't already seen that, my Holland mm-hmm. hat. So right. uh, Dutch reforms all the uh, we have all a ninety five year old Dutch lady in our church and she's the most Dutch person I've ever met in my entire life. It's <laughs> it is fantastic. Well, but does she does she eat king mints or Wilhelmina mints during the? I'm gonna have that, to ask her that question. That's the question, you know. But she like the um, thing that she does that I've heard all. Sorry to derail you, but she always yeah 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I've always heard. It's like a Dutch thing for some reason. I don't know why, but it is. So yeah, people can find me at Oceanside United Reformed Church uh, down here in Carlsbad, sunny San Diego, California. Uh, Sunday mornings, we we meet at 10 a.m. for uh, for worship, Holy Communion service, preaching through the whole Bible in 2020, end of 2023. And then when this is airing, 2024. So like one book of the Bible per Sunday, giving a huge overview, which has been really fun. And, uh, and then we have a uh, Sunday school after that, we have an evening service at five preaching through the Heidelberg catechism. And by the time this airs, uh, in the Psalms, we'll be in the Psalms in the evening service at five. So nice. 10 and five on Sundays. And then, uh, we have midweek stuff like a men's group. Yeah. Uh, I do, a, I do a pastor's Bible study, um, through the book of numbers that starts in January. Nice. Had that started in January when this airs. <laughs> That's so, right. um, Your yeah, oceansideurc.org is a website. You can find me on social media. So look forward to meeting you. I forgot to add, I'm going through, at this point, I should be like middle of John, like John 10-ish. I've been preaching through the gospel of John. Nice. Um, trying to figure out, I might do Leviticus or Ecclesiastes. I haven't decided yet what I want to do. I'm going to talk to the session and congregation. But yeah, so that's that's what I'm preaching through. So Nick, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm a member at Trinity Orthodox Presbyterian Church. My pastor is John Morsh. It's in Dana Point, California. 
and service is at 9.30 a.m. at Palisades Elementary School. You have a second, you have a catechism service, don't you, too? Yeah, so we do catechism service at 5 p.m. on Sundays, and then we do adult Sunday school right after the sermon as well. So Gotcha. Cool. Yep. Well, and then next week, if yeah, hopefully you guys enjoyed numbers and it maybe brought out like some excitement to read the book of numbers, maybe for the first time <laughs> in a lot of people's lives, we see the gospel straight through and maybe more um, allusions and interconnections in this. And then next week we got Deuteronomy. So the last book, Deuteronomy. yeah. Or if you're, um, you see the sixth book, the, the, what is it called? The, not the, the Hexateuch. Some people call it the, the Hexateuch. Well, that's, we, I see five books, but we'll do, yeah, Deuteronomy, end of the Pentateuch after this, uh, which is not really chronological, but we'll go through Deuteronomy yeah. next time. So and then, we'll, fun. then we'll enter the, uh, the man with no parents. That's Joshua, <laughs> the son of none. Yeah, there you go. Total biblical dad joke. No, I was yep. about to say that's like Nick has got to end it with the dad joke. That's that's just the way <laughs> that's the way things end. Cool. Or the son right. of a nun. We're not sure, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah. There we go. Right. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next week. All right. All right, guys. See ya. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. In our seventh season, Jesus and All of Scripture. Please make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast catcher or on our YouTube channel. Give us a rating on Apple or Spotify and write a review. These really do help the show reach a wider audience as we continue with our goal of bridging the gap to reform Christian theology for all peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations. We'll see you next week for another episode.